Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Stock Talk. This is a little podcast that I put together where I like to talk about all things investing, where I get to share with you some of my takes, some of my ideas, some of my observations about what's going on in the market, share with you some of my own personal investment decisions, and more specifically the thought processes that have led me to make specific investment decisions. Really the whole point is is for you to take some nuggets of information, some perspectives, some insights, and hopefully bring them back into your own personal circumstance so you can make uh, better and more successful investment decisions on your own. My name is Amin Reina and I'm an investment coach and founder of Sage Investors. And what I do as an investment coach is I try to help people who who wanna become more financially independent. But the problem is, when it comes to investing, a lot of people, when they think about investing or get into investing, they feel confused, intimidated, frustrated by the whole process. You know, either they're starting off investing and they just don't know where to start, or they've been investing for a long time, but they just aren't making any progress with their portfolio. So what I do to try to help these people is I try to, um, as I teach people, as I try to engage with people on how to make more effective, how to make more educated, and ultimately more successful investment decisions so that you can achieve uh, a certain level of financial freedom in your lives and achieve it with confidence. So this is episode 114, 114, and today I want to talk about uh, talk about <laughs> I'm blank I'm gonna to talk to you about I'm gonna to talk to you about I was reading I think you know, right now I have to have a confession to make I have a bit of a of a of, a, of, a, of, a, of an investing uh, investing crush of an investing infatuation right now and with with somebody and this somebody is is a gentleman uh, named Morgan Housel uh, who is runs the uh, collaborative funds and he, he's a blogger and this guy is just like shooting to the top of my list in terms of people who know their shit about investing. Um, I put him up in the Mount Rushmore's of, of, of investing. You know, you got Buffett and Munger. I would put Peter Lynch for me as one of my guys that I've always looked up to. Um, Richard Thaler and Daniel Kahneman in terms of uh, the behavioral uh, finance aspect of things. This dude, Morgan Hussle, I'm like ready to put him, carve something out of him up there on my in my investing Mount Rushmore because this guy is just providing, uh, provides such an amazing insight and perspective into, into investing um, that is just totally blows me away. And he, he has a blog on a website, and I'm on there. And if, if you've been following my podcasts and posts and my stuff, my tweets, I'm always like, I've done already a few posts, uh, podcasts, talking about some of his insights and his perspectives. And uh, <clears throat> again, he's got, a, he's got another one out there. That, and I actually have a couple more that I want to share with you too. Um, but today I want to talk about, he delivered a presentation to a group of, uh, I was at a micro uh micro stocks, micro cap uh, investment conference. And his title of his presentation was what other uh, industries can teach us about investing. And he went through essentially five cases, five examples of certain things that have happened in, in certain events that have occurred. And he managed to take those events and bring them, take some lessons out of those events that could help us um, in terms of investing. And to me, it was nothing short of brilliant and 
and I'm just a total fan of this guy. Like he just this he just knows his shit. And uh, excuse my language, I don't swear a lot, but he really knows his stuff. And so I, what I wanted to do today is kind of share with you. I'm gonna post a link to his website or to where the presentation is, and also I think there's as a transcript too of it. So if you want to read it, you can do that. But <clears throat> but uh, I just want to share with you his 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 take on this. And he shared some perspectives and ideas in that, and I think are just incredible takeaways and incredibly powerful. And I think are feed into what I really believe are some of the competencies that we all need to develop as investors. And just having that appreciation for other perspectives and ideas is really a critical factor for really what separates to me run-of-the-mill investing from exceptional amazing performance investing. And so Morgan Hustle, I think, has his has the has his pulse on that element and he expresses it so brilliantly um hell even better in any way that i could ever explain it um he's just to me like the tops on that stuff so yeah i have a bit of a of an investing crush on this guy so i'm sorry um i know where i talk about being you know taking emotion out of your investing decisions and stuff like that but i i just i'm sorry i can't i can't hide it any longer um so I just want to share with you his perspectives. He took four cases, um, five cases, and some of his takeaways, what the learnings could be from those cases, those experiences. So the first one he shares is involves a situation that happened in Austria. Austria at one point was looking to set up or build um, nuclear power plants to have for energy for their country. And so they went through a whole process. They spent tons of money, builds of billions of dollars of cash, and they actually built some power plants. And when they went out to educate the public about how what the purpose of these things are and how they're good and you know try to sell it to, to the population, the population totally freaked out. And they said they were totally against it. And they even went and had a referendum on it and they voted, the, the people in Austria voted against having nuclear power in their country. And so after building these power plants, they, they never got off the ground. And it's the interesting part is they voted. They didn't. They, the, the people in Austria voted no because they didn't feel comfortable. They they didn't they didn't believe it. They didn't think it was safe. They thought there was risk associated with it. Despite the fact that in the U.S., France, Japan, other parts of the world, um, there's all kinds of nuclear power plants out in the world and. The decisions out there to determine the risks associated with it are all the same. Like the data has shown that, you know, again, different opinions, but um, there's enough data and experiments and, and information out there that have kind of quantified the risks associated with nuclear power. And for the most part, you know, except for these cases, you know, rapid cases in Japan, Three Mile Island, whatever, Chernobyl. Um, Nuclear power has been relatively safe. There hasn't been any crazy, you know, um, uh, epic, you know, meltdowns from that side of it. So, you know, people in Japan are using nuclear power. People in the U.S. are using nuclear power. People in France are using. They're all using it. They've determined that the risks associated with it are lower. But the people in Austria felt the risks were too high and voted it out. So, what's the takeaway? The takeaway is. When we look at risk, is you can't you can't just view risk as as a one as a black and white thing. 
Unfortunately, as we as investors, we view risk very differently. The way you view risk and I review risk is different. And a lot of times we filter those differences through the lens of cult our cultural background, our personal experience, and our age, and what we've personally experienced and what where we are in our lifetime. Um, those These variables are critical factors that determine how risky we will view our investments. And so he goes on to talk about, Hustle goes to talk about um, this generational aspect of investing. So if you were investing in the, in the you, were, you were living in the 30s and the uh, in the 40s and the 50s, after World War II, there was a huge crazy growth in, in economic activity. Stock markets and stock prices went were exploding during that time. So if you're growing up, and specifically if you're in your formidable early late teens, early 20s, and you're seeing that kind of environment around you, you're probably going to be much more tolerant to 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 investing in stocks. Compare that to today or 10 years ago when we had the financial crisis and you know the stock markets blew up. If you're in your 20s and you're growing up and you saw your parents investing and they lost a ton of money during that time, your framework, your, your risk profile when you start looking at stocks is probably going to be a little bit more, you're going to be a little more apprehensive and you're going to be a little bit unsure about investing. And that's what's happened. We've had this epic bull market, but we've had really not a lot of people participating in it because the experience of what they've experienced of what their their social circle has experienced has had an impact on that. So when you look at risk, and despite the fact that we know the risks associated with stocks, stocks go up and stocks go down, but the experience that we have is ultimately going to determine how we're going to approach uh, investing. And so that's the first takeaway is is experience, our, our, our social circles, our cultural um, values really play into how we make investment decisions. And a lot of times we, you know, I talk about, you know, confirmation bias, recency bias, you know, these are you know, biases that can impact our ability to make future investment decisions. Well, if we have kind of cultural and experiential um, things that are kind of built into our DNA, and are driving how we live our lives, that's gonna have potentially uh, a negative impact on how we make investment decisions in, in the future. So what Housel talked about in his speech was taught, he, he shared with him, with us different perspectives from other behavioral, econom, uh, behavioral econo economists, for example, Daniel Kahneman. He talked about like, he asked him, it's like, how do you deal with this? Um, these, these kind of peer pressure, cultural pressures, um, cultural values that are kind of stuck in our face and kind of influence us in terms of how we make investment decisions. Well, his response was that you kind of have to get out of your bubble and essentially you have to not just try to stay within your own social circle, you need to embrace and understand and hear other people's inputs and other people's perspectives on different things. Open your eyes to other people around the world, just don't look at your neighborhood because chances are if you're focused just on your neighborhood and what the value system and how people view risk in your neighborhood, you're gonna to gravitate to making decisions that way. And potentially that's gonna impact your ability to make effective investment decisions in the future. So he talks about things like talking to people who you disagree with, talking to people who have different perspectives than you do, um, talk to people who are in different emotional states. Don't talk to necessarily people in your family circle or your personal social circle. Get out of that place. Talk to other peers, other people in other industries, get perspective. And that's really the first 
element that he talks about uh, with investing is understanding your risk profile and, and embracing ideas, embracing concepts, because that's just gonna make you, help you make more effective investment decisions down the road. And I've talked about this in the past in my program, but again, Housel took an example of nuclear power plants and showed how this, this, these types of behaviors are, are, are out there. Um, the second case that he talks about was this whole concept of um, disease, how we spend hundreds of millions of billions of dollars to find cures for diseases. And sometimes we're very successful in how we in curing diseases and sometimes we're not. And he, more specifically, he drilled down into the whole war on cancer, cancer, finding cures for cancer. And he talked to one of the most biggest experts in cancer research. And he said, um, why don't we have a cure for cancer? And this researcher said, we should have a cure for cancer, but he thinks the reason why we don't have a cure for cancer right now is because um, the people that are doing the research on this, the research aspect, the research industry, just doesn't really seem to be engaged in the process of finding a cure. Um, he even said it himself that he found the process to not be very stimulating and not to be challenging enough. And to me, that kind of blew into a concept where a lot of times we make investing decisions. We assume if a, if, if, a, if a product or somebody comes out there and offers a really complex explanation or example of or process of how they make investment decisions, that that process is probably going to be correct. And the reality is the most effective investing strategies out there are simple. They're very easy to understand and they're not complicated. And what's happened is as a society, we've put such a greater emphasis on people uh, who have ideas that are very complex and assume that, you know, that those complex ideas are going to, are much more credible and we should pay more attention to those and then ideas that are very simplistic and easy to understand because they're just too easy and they're too simplistic and they're too obvious. And so what's, what's happened is we're, we're become such, you know, a credentialed society now that we are, uh, we find simplicity boring. We find challenge to be more exciting. So, you know, he, he talks about this whole cancer side of it. Well, I, I bring it even to a simpler aspect, which is dieting. We spend billions and billions and billions of dollars on trying to find cures to lose weight. You know, we buy pills, we buy, you know, technology tools, training, you know, all kinds of stuff. The reality is we all know how to lose weight. Eat sensibly, in moderation, and exercise. You do that, you're probably going to keep your weight down. But we gravitate towards, you know, the whole Weight Watchers, programs, uh, drugs, supplements, uh, surgery, liposuction, much more complicated solutions. We gravitate to those solutions and those strategies, but we ignore really the simplistic side of it, which is probably the best way to do it. And we spend so much money uh, trying to follow these complex solutions that we just ignore the simplicity. And that's where um, Housel in his speech here was trying to t was trying to hit us with. He used this example of we spend so much time trying to find cures of can for cures of cancer, when the reality is 
if you want to reduce cancer, there's it's all about diet and exercise. You know, people who are have a have a lower have a eat a proper diet and exercise regularly are stimulating their mind, um, sleep well, have good health behavior, you know, behavior health patterns. Their chances of getting cancer are lower, but we don't hear enough about that because it's just too easy. It's just too simplistic. Yeah, there's outliers out there. Um, stay out of the sun. Stay out of the sun. Put suntan lotion, you know, uh, sunscreen on. We're probably going to get lower incidence of cancer. We know to do this, but a lot of times we gravitate toward more complicated solutions. Um, he talks about Warren Buffett. He even shows his example, a slide of Warren Buffett's office. If you look at Warren Buffett's office, there's like no computers. It's just books. It's just a really nice, comfy chair, a desk. And when he asked Buffett, that's all he, he, that's for him, that's enough. But that's enough, that's the type of environment he needs to make better investment decisions. He just wants to read. He doesn't need spreadsheets and flowcharts and graphs and 20 computers and a Bloomberg terminal to figure out whether to buy stock, which stocks to buy. He just reads and he talks to people, he engages with people. And then he, uh, Housel puts another slide of what we all gravitate to which is the Bloomberg terminals, 10 screens, that whole Wall Street trading floor mentality. And that's what the industry pushes on us is saying, if you want to become a better investor, you need to have this infrastructure around you. When the reality is Warren Buffett's infrastructure is probably much more cheaper and hell of a lot more effective. But why don't we adopt Warren Buffett's infrastructure instead of Wall Street's infrastructure? Because Wall Street's infrastructure looks, looks way more slick, way more, it's like, hey, they know what's going on. They, they know something that I probably don't. So I'm going to probably use their infrastructure to do that. Simplicity at the end of the day will always win. And uh, and so it's, again, Household talks about this whole cure, this cancer thing, the industry, research industry, gravitating to more uh, simplistic, uh, gravitating to more complex type solutions when in fact simplistic solutions are out there. They just don't want to be bothered to doing that. Uh, they don't want to they don't even want to bother considering that side of it because it's boring. And the fact that our leading cancer researcher even said it, that he wasn't stimulated enough by these more simplistic strategies to cure cancer tells you a lot about how we value decision-making in our society and who we gravitate to to get validity and certainty in an uncertain kind of world. Um, so that's his second example. Um, his third example he talked about was, he talked about 9-11. And that the time at 9-11, you know, when the planes crashed, there was a, if you go back to that time, he, we, you just remember what that period was like. Uh, air travel, you know, at that time when, the, when, 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 when it happened, people were like, oh, I'm not getting on a plane ever again. Air travel took a real hit after 9-11. People, instead of traveling through Via, with planes, via planes, drove more. And if you looked at the data, the amount of miles, uh, travel miles that were done through driving increased, uh, I think the number was almost eight times, or it, was, it increased a huge amount of times. This is despite the fact that the data research has shown that you are eight times more likelier to die in a car crash, in a car accident, than you are in a plane. So what's hap what happened at that time? The mindset, again, this comes down to behaviors. We're wired, oh my God, 
planes are crashing, I don't want to be, I'm not going to take a plane. I'm not going to fly on a plane because the recency bias has told us, hey, a plane's going to crash like every three seconds. So what do we do? We gravitate, we try to go to higher ground. You know, the flood is happening, let's get to higher ground. So what do people do? Well, I'm just gonna go drive, it's safer. When in fact, the reality is, it's actually more dangerous to be driving. And the fact of the matter is what he showed, what he cited was that after 9-11, the amount of uh, car fatalities skyrocketed after 9-11 because more people were driving. There was more people on the roads, more probability of crashes occurring, accidents occurring than there were in air travel. And so the analogy that he used, this, this driving versus flying analogy comes, he brings it to investing, what he, it's, is that, I just wanna make sure I got it right, is that, and it's through no fault of our own, a lot of times when we see bad things happen to us, we try to react to it by doing something else that we perceive is going to be less risky or less likelihood of something that that event happening and oftentimes when we do that we actually are through it's an un, we get an unintended concept we actually tend to make things worse and his analogy he brings it into investing is a lot of times when the markets start going down if the markets go down 10 percent there's a crash what's our reaction our reaction is get out of stocks get out of stocks go into cash when if you look at history and you look at those big, you know, epic downturns in the markets, those epic bear points in the market, those were the points when actually, if you had stayed in the market, you would have set yourself up for years upon years of amazing, exceptional returns. This is what we do as investors. We buy high and we sell low. We get in at the peak and we get out in the trough. And the, the, the lesson here is, you shouldn't have to, we should welcome, when the market goes down, when the stock prices go down meaningfully, we shouldn't just panic and just sell out. We need to view these as opportunities and we need to know, understand in our minds that, you know what, this is normal. Stock prices do go down. It's part of the gig. It's an occupational hazard. It's the price, it's the price of admission for being a successful investor is that you will make bad decisions. Markets prices will go down, but you, if you are aware of that, and you capitalize on it and actually become more aggressive in the sense that you execute your plan and take advantage of buying great assets at lower prices, you're setting yourself up for a, for a long-term, a much better uh, performance down the road. Um, you know, essentially what he says, the household says, is that a falling stock market is the cost that you have to pay for generating exceptional returns in the future. And it may be painful at that moment um, when that bad event is happening, but it really comes, it's really in isolation. If you look at it in isolation, yeah, it's a bad thing. But if you look at it from a bigger picture, it's just uh, a blip. It's just a flashpoint. And really what comes down to me, and it's something I, I, I try to tell people or work with people to get them into that mindset, was that you need to have context. When these stress points happen, it's important to have context. And I always share the example of Apple. You know, here's Apple, you know, made, you know, come up with the iPhone, going like gangbusters, selling more and more phones every quarter, yet the stock price went down. If you remember 2011, 2012, it went down 
They were selling 45 million, 45 million phones a quarter. All the analysts were saying they were slowing down. They had lost their capacity to innovate. They were not imaginative anymore. But and if you looked at it from the context of, hey, this company has $100 billion in cash. It sells more phones every quarter than the, my country that I live in, Canada. It has zero debt at the time. Um, this is an amazing business. I want to get in on it. And so if you ignored that flashpoint moment and looked at the company from the bigger picture, you would have set yourself up because guess what? Stock rebounded and it almost tripled literally in value um, since then. Context is such an important thing. And the real takeaway that I get out of, you know, uh, Housel's 9-11 analogy is is we try to want to hit home runs with investing. Every stock we buy, we think we buy it at $2. We expect it to go to $1,000. Great investors, successful investors, don't try to hit home runs. They just try to get on base and keep the pressure on and keep things moving. And they don't get off base. They don't try to get picked off. They don't try to like you know strike out at, uh, on the plate with, with, with runners on base. You want to get on base. Bunt, hit, whatever you got to do, get on base, get home. And that's kind of uh, that takeaway from 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 Housel's perspective. Um, so 9/11. So he, example of 9/11 provide an example of how we view stressful events and how we normally react to them. Often at times, when you bring into investing, it actually can prove to be more detrimental than just standing pat and doing nothing. Um, I think that's all I got for you. I think I'm gonna stop right there because I don't wanna blow everybody away. I might, I might do another part two, I think, on, um, on Housel's uh, speech uh, on, on how everyday things that we see in our lives, uh, what we can learn from them in terms of making investments. Again, I was totally blown away by this, uh, by his speech and I'm totally blown away by his, blog, his posts and his insights and his perspectives and I recommend you just give a listen to what he's got to say and I think uh, you'd be quite enamored by what he's doing. So if you have any questions about this, I'd love to hear from you. Um, you can find me through my uh, website, uh, sageinvestors.ca. Um, I'll post the link to uh, Housel's uh, speech and presentation so you can check it out for yourself. Um, if you have any questions about uh, just the market overall, what's going on in the markets, and I have any questions about my uh, courses that I teach, you can hit me through there through my email on uh, sageinvestors.ca. I'm on Twitter. Um, you can find me. My handle is at sageinvestors. Um, I'm on there all the time tweeting my observations, sharing, sharing other people's observations about the markets and perspectives. Uh, so you can find me through there. You can find me on Facebook. My uh, page name is Sage Investors. So uh, all my blog posts and everything are on there. So you can you know check in through there. And uh, finally, how else can you get? There's so many ways you can get a hold of me. Um, and finally, the other way you can get a hold of me through is uh, through email. In the sense that every week I publish a uh, an email. I send out an email every Wednesday morning. Um, where I share with you some of what I'm reading, some uh, uh, articles, blog, blog, uh, blog posts, podcasts that I'm reading and hearing. 
um, that I find really insightful that I'm kind of utilizing in terms of how I make my investment decisions. If you want to get on that list and get that share page, um, feel free to jump on there. You just leave your email address and you'll get on my list every Wednesday morning. Um, I also share a little bit of a dashboard in terms of what's going on in the markets from the economic side of it and also the behavioral side of it. What's the market sentiment psychology out there? So if you're interested in following that kind of stuff and getting that stuff at your fingertips, great place to go um, to sign up. So that's all I got for you this week. I'm going to continue my next uh, episode of Stock Talk. I'm actually going to continue and talk about the other two um, cases that uh, Morgan Housel talked about uh, in his speech. Uh, in his speech about uh, what we can learn from investing from day-to-day kind of stuff. Thanks again for listening in. I hope you found this of value. You can jump on iTunes. All my uh, previous podcast uh, episodes are on iTunes. You can jump on there and leave your name. And I mean, leave your name, just uh, subscribe and leave a comment. I'd love to hear what your takes and insights about uh, about what I'm uh, what I'm trying to do here. So, thanks very much for listening in. We'll catch you again another time. It's been Stock Talk. My name is Amon Reina of Sage Investors. Cheers. We'll see you later. Bye bye. <music>